0: So you probably know about me now that I am a deep lover of words. And uh, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines mansplaining as what occurs when a man talks condescendingly to someone, especially a woman, about something he has incomplete knowledge of with the mistaken assumption that he knows more about it than the person he's talking to. If you didn't get it, Mansplain is man plus explain. Man explain, man splain. Do you guys get it? Come on. Come on. I'm trying to demonstrate mansplaining right now because I'm really hoping that there will be none of it in today's message this morning. Uh, and I have known lead pastors for uh, years who have run in fear from the Mother's Day sermon because Mother's Day is a minefield. It is a day sometimes fraught with emotions, and it is a ripe opportunity to say something stupid or ignorant or inadvertently hurtful to the women in your congregation. And also, it should be obvious that as a man in my late 30s, I am probably not the best person to wax eloquent on the joys and the challenges of motherhood. And that's not my job. And for that, I am eternally grateful. (laughs) What I am qualified to do is to preach God's word. I've been charged to rightly handle this word of truth, and I trust that God's God-breathed book will be useful and profitable for us this morning, training us in the ways of God. So, I do have a message for you this morning, and I've titled it A Mother's Surrender, and it is inspired by one mom's relationship with her son. Today, we are going to look at all of Mary and Jesus' interactions in the gospel. It will be a whirlwind biblical adventure, but it is my hope that their relationship will have something to say, not just to the mothers who are listening but also to everyone here who seeks to love and follow Jesus. So you guys ready to dive in? Okay. So let's start at the beginning. We're going to meet Mary when she's about 14. She's just beginning her journey into motherhood. And an angel appears to her and gives her some crazy news. He says, by the power of the Holy Spirit... God will come upon her, and without the aid of any man, she will miraculously give birth to a son, Jesus, who will save God's people. And what is this young woman's response? She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. At this point Mary is given the highest praise a mother has ever received. Her cousin Elizabeth prophesies over her and says, "Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb." Elizabeth calls Mary the mother of my Lord and she praises her for something quite particular. Check it out. She says in Luke chapter 1, "Blessed is he, or blessed is she, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Don't miss it. Mary is commended for her faith. She's blessed because God in his grace has chosen her to bear and to be a mother to his beloved son. But she's also blessed because she trusts God. She believes that God will fulfill what he's promised, what he's spoken to her, that her son would save the world, that he'd deal with sin, that he'd usher in a new world order, a kingdom that would endure forever. And I want you to remember this because it's Mary's faith and trust in God that is going to be tested over the next 30-odd years of motherhood. Now, you know maybe what happens next. It's the Christmas story. It's the trip to Bethlehem. It's laying her son in the manger. It's the shepherds and the angels and the wise men with their gifts. It's disorienting and amazing and beautiful and full of challenge. And through it all we read, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them, In her heart. So let's fast forward to the next scene in our story. Mary's now about 27, and Jesus is a boy of 12. We're still in Luke chapter 1. He's still under his mother's care and supervision. Jesus is a year away from officially in Jewish culture becoming a man. That happens, you're an adult at 13. At 13, you accept responsibility for fulfilling God's law and you're no longer a child. But as we catch up with mother and son, that's still a ways away. And until then, Jesus is still going to be Mary's baby boy. So the family's traveling and they're uh, heading to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And it's like a family vacation if, on your family vacations, your entire extended family and your village went with you. And they have, uh, sounds interesting, and they have a great time, but at some point on the trek back home from the celebration of Passover, they realize that Jesus is not with them. He's not part of that Nazareth-bound caravan that's making its way back north And Mary's like, I could have sworn he was with my brother Clopas and his cousins, but it turns out he wasn't there. Mary left behind her baby boy. And overwhelmed with guilt and anxiety, Mary and Joseph trek back to Jerusalem, and it takes them three days to find Jesus. And he's in the temple He's sitting in on discussions with Israel's most renowned teachers, probably the rabbis Hillel and Shammai. And he's asking these just deep, profound questions to all who hear him. And everyone's amazed. But Mary walks in and she is furious. We read in Luke 2, 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus says, Joseph's not my father. He's my stepdad. Um, No, not actually. He says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? This is fascinating to me. In this culture, mothers were responsible for their kids, but it was the father who was in charge of a child's education. And I'm sure Joseph was doing a bang-up job on introducing Jesus and instructing him to God's law. And showing him the ropes of of what it means to be a man. But we hear that Jesus says he needed to be in his heavenly Father's house, learning from him. And that's why he stayed behind. And this whole experience teaches Mary a major lesson. We're going to see four of these lessons over the course of their story, but this is lesson number one. Your kids are first and foremost God's, not yours. And we can even expand this out. Those people, things, or relationships that you most cherish and cling to, they came from God and they ultimately belong to God your claim upon his claim upon them is primary yours is secondary first and foremost those you love belong to god and in this scene it's almost as if god is claiming his fatherly prerogative to educate his son And Mary and Joseph, they're forced to adjust to that. Okay, so let's skip ahead again. Now we're in the Gospel of John, and Mary is with Jesus at a wedding. She's about 45 now, and Jesus is about 30. And Jesus, while he was once this child prodigy in the temple, he's now become a little bit of a late bloomer, He's failed to launch. Most men are married and out of the house by 30. And Mary kind of seemingly wants to give him a little push out of the nest. And so they're at this wedding. And to the shame and embarrassment of the wedding's hosts, their party has run out of wine. And Mary's sitting off with where the women would sit. She's near the food where the wine is being prepared. and, And she's one of the first to be alerted to this Crisis that they've run out of wine. And this is really a major social faux pas that would be just the source of jests in the village for for years to come. And the problem here is that the family was too poor. They couldn't afford to throw the sort of party that the young couple deserved, and their, their poor neighbors, like Mary and Jesus, had brought too few gifts to help defer the costs and everyone hosts the couple the guests they would all lose face so mary comes to jesus and she asks him to intervene we see in john chapter 2 verses 2 or 3 through 5 when the wine ran out the mother of jesus said to him they have no more wine and Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. I'm struck by how Jesus talks to his mom. It's a bit strange, but when you hear the word woman, don't think woman. Think In that culture, it would have sounded something more like, uh, Excuse me, ma'am, what does this have to do with me? It's respectful, it's polite, but it creates this strange distance between mother and son. And he wants her to know that his hour, whatever that means, has not yet come. Mary is not persuaded. And she gives Jesus a little push. She sends the servants to him to ask for his instructions and because she knows the promises spoken over Jesus' life. She knows his potential. He's God's son, and she wants him to spread his wings and fly. Today's the day, Jesus. sees the moment. Show yourself to the world and thrive. But Jesus knows something that Mary doesn't. Once he begins doing miracles, he begins the road to the cross. Mary has a merciful and loving heart. She wants to spare her friend any social embarrassment, but she doesn't know what she's asking for. She doesn't realize that her request will start the countdown clock to Calvary. 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 Yet amazingly, it seems that Jesus checks in with his heavenly father and God signs off on Mary's request. They're co-parenting once again. So Jesus turns the water into wine. He performs his first miracle and starts the process of revealing himself to the world. And looking back, I'm sure Mary learned another important lesson. Lesson number two, don't try to rush God. Things won't happen on your timetable. They'll happen on his This applies to our kids' development, but it really also applies to every aspect of our life of faith. God says, I know the hour. I have a plan. It will happen in my timing, so trust me. Trust me. Okay, let's skip ahead to the next chapter in their story together. Mary's gotten what she wanted. Jesus' public ministry is in full swing. He's, he's preaching. He's teaching. He's calling disciples. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's forgiving sins. Crowds are flocking to him wherever he goes. And he's been making interesting social choices eating with tax collectors and prostitutes and and sinners, getting into disputes with the religious leaders. And the last straw for Mary comes when she gets this report about Jesus in Mark chapter 3. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Mary is such a mom. Jesus has been wandering the countryside, doing so much, and when he finally gets home, she can't even get a good meal in him because of the freaking crowds, and he just looks too skinny and too worn out, and her baby's gotten in over his head, so she sends out his brothers to do an intervention. We read, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind if you keep reading you realize that mary is worried about more than just how thin jesus looks the religious leaders are accusing her son of blasphemy they're saying he's possessed by a demon and that's why he can cast out demons it's too much It's going to get him into trouble. Maybe he'll even get arrested or punished. He's lost himself. She needs to protect him from himself. He's confused. Maybe he's having an emotional breakdown. Don't mind Jesus. He's he's not bewitched by a demon. The heat just got to him. His, His blood sugar got too low. He didn't mean it. She's scrambling to save her boy. And then knife to the heart, Jesus rejects her. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, and she is my sister and mother. Whoever does the will of God is my mother. It's a a slap to the face. He's saying she's no better than the religious leaders who said he was possessed by a demon. Mom, I'm doing the will of God. The Holy Spirit is at work in me and through me. I haven't gone insane. Don't slander God's work like that. I'm being faithful to the calling that has been given to me by my Father. This is the path that God's Son must walk. You can't shield me from it. This is how I save the world. I thought you believed that. And Mary, I just imagine, is crushed. She learns her third lesson. The road that God has assigned your kids to walk may be painful and costly. It is very likely not the path you would choose for them. But instead of trying to shield your loved ones from walking with the Lord through the valley of the shadow of death, choose to trust God, pray that you both will be faithful to do God's will at every turn. The next time we see Mary, she's standing at the foot of Jesus' cross. She's there with her sister and with Mary Magdalene. Her, Her baby boy has been tortured and crucified. He's been faithful to the very end, and it is costing him his life. And she's just beside herself with grief. And she hasn't given a moment's thought to herself or her future, but Jesus has. Joseph, at this point, is is dead. He's likely died several years prior to that. At 48, Mary is a widow, and her eldest son, which in that culture is the person who's responsible for caring for her and providing for her until the end of her days, is dying before her eyes. And we read, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son, And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. This is Jesus' binding last will and testament, delivered orally in the presence of witnesses. He's honoring his mother by providing for her needs. He's formally formerly placing her under the protection of his dearest friend and most beloved disciple. This disciple whom Jesus loved is very likely the Apostle John, who is the youngest of his 12 disciples, and interestingly, the only one who will live to an old age. Jesus places Mary under his care, He's not a blood relative, but one of those spiritual brothers of Jesus who does the will of God. And Jesus establishes a new relationship between these two. Mary and John are now mother and son in Jesus. The one who is the Christ, the true lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus breathes his last, and Mary is forced to learn her final lesson. Lesson number four, release your children into God's strong and capable hands and allow yourself to experience God's loving care for you. There's something here, too, about letting God redefine family for you, but I'm not entirely sure how to articulate that part. So I'm going to let the Spirit preach that part of the sermon to our hearts. But this is not your typical Mother's Day message. But we've looked at Jesus' relationship with his own mother and we've learned something about surrendering our will to God. Looking at Mary's life, this seems to be this, the key to her successful parenting of Jesus. Or maybe I'm I'm putting that wrong. Maybe this is the key to Jesus' successful parenting of her. Right? Remember how the story started. She says, let it be to me according to your word. She was blessed because she believed that God would do through Jesus what he said he would. And her whole life was learning these various lessons about how to surrender her son and her plans to God. And what is the outcome of her story? She lost her son to a brutal death on a cross. But that's not the end. He rose victorious and now rules and reigns at the right hand of his father. And what's more, he's even now establishing his kingdom, a kingdom that will change the world and endure forever. And we actually see Mary one more time in the New Testament. Any ideas where it is? She's in the upper room with the disciples on the eve of Pentecost. She's taken her place among them. And we read in Acts 1.14, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. At the end, we see Mary playing a public role in the community of faith. Along with all the other disciples, she's about to be filled with the Spirit so that she can go out and proclaim the mighty things that God has done in and through Jesus. And there's one more detail that fascinates me. Do you see? God has blended her family Jesus' blood brothers, James and Jude, are there praying and singing and eating alongside his spiritual brothers. Salvation has come to Mary's family, and her firstborn son is alive. He's glorified, and he's making all things new. So I would say to all the mothers here, and all of us here who are not mothers, I think Mary's example says that it is worthwhile for us to surrender our will and our lives and our families into the hands of Jesus. God proved faithful in Mary's family. He'll prove faithful in yours amen amen well let's pray and allow me to pray a blessing over our moms dear God Lord I thank you I thank you that your word reveals something as intimate and private as the dynamic that existed between you and your mom I thank you for the lessons we can learn from your story. I thank you for the faithfulness of your mother and how she trusted you to be the savior that you say you will be. God, allow us today on this Mother's Day to all receive this blessing, but in particular, those who have said yes to the high and hard calling of, of playing the role of mother for someone, whether that's biologically or in a way that is hard to put to words, God. But may we receive this blessing from Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land And befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. Your justice as the noonday. So be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him fret not, our God is good. In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen.